funny stuff. I was gonna come up here and introduce myself as Patrick, but looks like none of you would buy that. So, uh, I'm not Patrick. Um, I am Alex Gray, um, and this is my second year on staff. Um, I'm excited to be up here tonight, uh, excited to share a little bit of my life with you guys. Um, but first, I have a question for you. Um, have you ever been in a situation where things go very differently than you expect? Here's an example. Uh, who here has ever been tricked into a date? Me, I have. Should I tell a story? Okay, so I was a freshman um, here at Mizzou uh, and I knew this guy who we're, we're gonna call him Stan. Um, and so Stan, near Christmas break, uh, he, he asks, hey, would you ever wanna go to dinner? Um, and I was a freshman, you know, like I was a little bit naive, maybe kind of mindless. Uh, and so I thought I could evade the implied meaning by saying, dinner as friends would be fun. But, okay, so we go to dinner, and, and, the, and the vibe was just not friend dinner. No, like, it was, it was full-on date. Um, and so because I'm expecting, like, a casual friend dinner, you can imagine that I was a little bit disappointed when Stan, at the end of the meal, he goes, hey, do you want to go to Magic Tree now? Um, some of you know what Magic Tree is. It's right there. It's like a very normal tree off Chapel Hill Road, um, and, and, like, Columbia puts, like, just an insane amount of lights on it uh, so that it looks, like, magical, I guess. Um, so, again, okay, so I say, sure. And so we drive to Magic Tree in, like, the coldest, rainiest, most miserable weather ever. Um, and so what you may not know is that uh, Magic Tree, it used to be, it wasn't on Chapel Hill Road um, it used to be in a neighborhood, like in somebody's yard. Uh, and so when we get there, Stan and I, uh, it's packed. And so that means that we have to, we have to drive past the tree, uh, we have to turn around and then park on the other side of the street. But the issue is um, that it's a dead end, like the street is a dead end. So Stan, um, he doesn't have a great option, but to turn slightly into somebody's side yard uh, and then back out and turn around. Um, so I have a visual. Uh, this should hopefully, it, yeah, you'll need it. Don't worry. Um, and so you can kind of see, okay, there's magic tree, the, the circle, and then there's the road, and up top is the dead end, uh, and the road kind of hugs a house, and there's Stan's car. Um, and so remember, it's rainy. So as soon as Stan, uh, he, he puts the car in reverse to back out, and as soon as he does that, his, his little front-wheeled car starts just, like, spinning in the grass. Um, I'm immediately uncomfortable. Like, no question. But, but Stan, like, he doesn't seem too concerned, so he suggests uh, plan B, which is to take a very small U-turn in the yard uh, so that we can be facing the street. Uh, and so... I'm like, okay, cool. So no big deal. We, we make the turn. We're almost up to the street uh, when his wheels start slipping again. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm feeling the embarrassment and like the judgment from the people who are starting to watch what's happening around our car. Um, but again, you know, he's fine. So he suggests plan C, which is that I 
jump into the driver's seat. I hit the gas, and he's going to push the car to the road. Uh, and so I think, like, okay, this has got to be the worst of it, right? And so I do. I get into the driver's seat, um, and I hit the gas, and he pushes, and nothing. Like, imagine. Um, and so we get back in the car. We're feeling really low. Um, and for a long few minutes, we deliberate, and then we finally decide uh, on plan D, which is to drive the length of the person's yard to get to the other side of the, of the street. Yeah, it was bad. So we finally, we do, we get on the street, right? And it's great. We're finally back on the street. And so at that point, we keep our eyes on the road. We avoid eye contact with literally all the people looking at Stan's car. Um, and we head out, like we just leave. Um, so, okay, so you can imagine there's definitely no second friend dinner after this night, right? Um, and unfortunately, there's actually no, like, redemptive spin either. There's no, like, uh, and now we're married. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, like, that's the story. But it, it didn't turn out that way. No. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Not really. Um, no, he's a great guy. Okay, I'm going to move on. Um, see, yeah, I think we were both, like, really disappointed, you know? Like, we had expectations of the way this night would go, and still, I think both of us were pretty disappointed in the way it actually turned out. Um, but, you know, we've all been there, right? Maybe, like, not the driving through somebody's yard part, um, but we've all been in situations where our expectations really shape the outcome um, or the expected outcome that we think should happen. So uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Mark 11, uh, verses 1 through 11, uh, where the Israelites in Jesus' day, they have expectations that are very different uh, than the events that actually unfold. So here's what Mark says happens. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door, at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, so at first glance, this looks like sort of an odd collection of just like details surrounding Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, right? But let me paint you a picture real quick, um, because at the time, things were really bad uh, for the Jewish people. See, they'd been under foreign rule for hundreds of years, um, and, and at the time, the Romans in particular 
they had built an empire uh, and maintained that empire on, on oppression and on brutality. So they kept their people in check by stripping them of their land, uh, by taxing them into poverty, uh, by killing or beating them for pretty much any disobedience. All revolts um, or uprisings, they ended in mass public executions. Um, at one point, the Romans, they have the entire city uh, of Jerusalem under siege. So imagine, if you will, the desperation, the, the starvation, the disease, the fear that people are experiencing. So the Israelites, ob obviously, uh, they're longing for freedom, right? They're, they're needing a change. They need a rescuer. That means when Jesus finally enters Jerusalem after three years of, you know, performing miracles um, and caring for the downtrodden, these, these Israelites, they have big expectations. Finally, a king who will make our enemies pay, a king who will set us free. And this longing, see, it totally shapes the Israelites' expectations about Jesus. So Jesus is a king, right? But he's a different kind of king than they expect. And he's a different kind of king than we expect. But what we'll see is he's a far better king than we expect. And Jesus, he actually does have a plan, but it's a different plan than they expect. And it's a different plan than we expect. But again, it's a far better plan than we expect. What I'm saying is that because Jesus is always better, we can trust him with everything that we face. So to understand how Jesus is actually better, um, we need to look at what the Israelites really did expect from him. So first, they rightly expected Jesus's authority as king. So look back at Mark 11. In this account, there's no question, right, of who's in charge. So Jesus gives his disciples the game plan, and they just, like, immediately go carry it out. He provides the answer, the Lord needs the colt, or donkey, uh, and everyone just complies. And so Jesus, he's about to get on the donkey, and his disciples, they take their cloaks off their own back for him to sit on. So no question, Jesus is in charge. Um, and as he's riding down into Jerusalem, the Israelites, they look up, and what they see is their great and mighty king coming with full authority into his own city. Can you imagine what that would be like? Their whole lives, they've longed for someone, a king, who would be able to put their trust in, who they could trust to take away their pain, all their pain and all their suffering. Um, and now, here he comes at last. He's like this beaconing beaconing, shining hope for them in the darkness. So the Israelites, they expected Jesus as king, which we've seen, uh, and, and his authority as king. But naturally then, they also expected him to bring victory. They knew he was coming with a plan, and so they expected him to win. They expected him to conquer. So in verses 9 and 10, when they're yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. What they're doing is, is they're not just praising Jesus for his kingship. Because Hosanna, it means, oh, save, 
or save now. And so what they're actually doing is they're begging for his rescue. They're calling for action. They're saying, Jesus, do something. Free us. Make our enemies pay. If you guys follow world news at all, um, you know that the people of Syria's northern city of Aleppo, uh, they've been expecting, uh, they've been waiting for years now. Because Syria is caught um, in a civil war and has been since 2011. And so the things for, you know, the situation for Aleppo has only gotten worse. Um, In August alone, one source says 396 civilians were killed by airstrikes and by bombs. So right now, homes are being flattened. Uh, Supermarkets have no food. Uh, They haven't had running water in the entire city for almost three months. Um, And parents are refusing to let their kids go to school or visit hospitals because they think those are the most dangerous places of all. So put yourself in in their shoes for a second. Because, you know, every day would be a nightmare. Every day you would wonder where the fighting would break out next. You'd wonder if you would find food or water that day. Of course, you'd be wondering if your loved ones would make it back to you safe. How desperate do you think you would be for someone who had the power to stop the fighting? How desperate do you think you would be for a good ruler to come and just establish peace again? Now, we're here in the States, um, and we're not experiencing civil war, right? But that doesn't mean that we don't still long for someone to fix the brokenness. Because truly, each of us knows the weight of this broken world, right? We know maybe the suffocation and the burden of the crushing weight of depression or anxiety. We know the shame of doing things with our boyfriend or our girlfriend that we're going to later regret. We know bitterness and division that's caused by parents' divorce. We know the hate and the injustice that we've seen thrown at people based on their race. I mean, we've all seen the effects of sin touch everything in our lives. And so we long for a king whose power can and will take all that away. A a king whose power can and will conquer it for good. And so just like the Israelites, we're expecting, we're waiting. But here's the deal. Sometimes our expectations, they actually blind us from reality. The Israelites, we're going to see, they get so focused on their expectations of who Jesus is and what he should do that, that they completely miss what's actually going on. So think back to the passage, back to Jesus riding on a donkey. Now, to the Israelites, this actually wasn't super surprising because in their time, this is actually what Jewish kings did. Um, But for anybody else, including us, reading this would be kind of a strange picture, right? Or seeing it would be kind of a strange picture. For any Roman reading this, they would be shocked. He picked a donkey, not a horse. Look at the difference between a horse and a donkey. You're a king, okay? Which do you choose? Like, which do you want people to see you riding around town on? Here's another comparison of the two, obviously made far better by the photobombing camel. 
Love it. But let's move on. Um, you know, here's the thing. I, I mean, we, we expect these things from Jesus, right? And so they expected him to come in on a donkey, or a horse, sorry, but he came in on a donkey. But, but if the Israelites didn't expect this, then they definitely ex- didn't expect what it meant because it, it meant that Jesus, he shows authority, right? But he, he also shows humility. And they, they just didn't expect this. They didn't expect Jesus to be a humble king. They expected a grand, celebrated, commanding king that would intimidate their enemies. So this humility thing, it's like a, it's a big hang-up for the Israelites. You know, they're thinking, he's a king. What's he doing being humble? Well, well what's the plan here? How is he going to bring victory if he's humble? But, so the Israelites, they didn't expect humility from Jesus, right? But, but then they definitely didn't expect the way that he was going to carry out his plan. Jesus would bring victory like they expected, yes, but his victory plan would actually include his own death. And again, this is what they don't expect completely. You know, they don't see it coming when five days later, the same crowd that shouted, Hosanna, save us, is the one that finds themselves five days later shouting, crucify him. They didn't see it coming that Jesus would have to die on a cross and go to the grave. They're thinking, this couldn't be the plan. This can't be right. Something has gone terribly wrong. We all know that feeling, right? Where you look around and you're thinking, something has gone terribly wrong. Let me tell you, when I was sitting in that car at Magic Tree with everybody watching our disastrous escape plan, I was definitely wondered, what has what has gone so terribly wrong here with this friend dinner? I don't understand. And, and maybe that's a comical situation, but look, I, I've talked to some of you guys. I know you, and I know that some of you, maybe a lot of you, um, have things going on in your life that are causing you to say, this can't be right. Something has gone terribly wrong. So for you, what circumstance in your life right now is causing you to question God's plan? What, where are you confused about what God is doing or maybe seemingly not doing in your life right now? Is it a relationship that's ended? Is it a job offer that just hasn't come? Is it losing a fighting battle against uh, an addiction that you just can't seem to defeat? Is it not getting a steer co position or an exec position uh, in your fraternity or sorority? Or is it feeling just isolated and alone because you don't actually have friends who really know you and really care about you? See, we're all dealing with circumstances, both big and small, that can actually really shake our confidence in God's plan. For sure, that's what's happening with the Israelites right here. But here's the thing. Despite what we do expect or don't expect from Jesus, he promises he's always going to be better. For the Israelites, it's actually precisely what they don't expect that makes him better. So take his kingship. They did expect a 
authority, right? But then they didn't expect humility. And neither of those things actually make him the better king on their own, alone. It's, it's Jesus is the better king because he holds all authority and all humility perfectly together. See, he is humble, all humble, and it's precisely because he's humble that he was willing to die for the very people that he created. And he does have all authority, and it's precisely because he has all authority that his death actually has the power to defeat sin. Okay, so what about Jesus's plan? Well, again, the Israelites did expect victory, right? But they definitely didn't expect his own death. And yet, his plan is better because death and victory, they go hand in hand to accomplish it all. Jesus did die. Uh, and it's precisely because he, the son of God, died that he fully paid the punishment of sin and were forgiven. Jesus did bring victory, and it's precisely because he brought victory that we know now the rule of Satan is wasting away. It's coming to an end. You guys, uh, you've heard us talk about Undercover Boss around here. We really love it. Maybe you haven't. It's this show uh, where a CEO of a company goes in disguise uh, in, and, and works as a low-level employee in their own company. Uh, so there's this guy, uh, Mitchell Modell. He's the CEO of Modell Sporting Goods, and he wants the inside scoop of his company. And so when he goes undercover, he meets this amazing, incredible, guys, watch the show, this woman named Angel. Uh, and she's a mom of three, um, but she's homeless. They're all homeless, and they've been living in a homeless shelter for two years. And so at the end of the show, he calls her into his office. And, and she's expecting a job evaluation. So, you know, maybe she's expecting some critiques. Maybe she's actually worried that she's going to get fired. Uh, but when he calls her in, he tells her who, she, who he really is. Uh, and then he tells her that she's getting a promotion to be assistant manager with a $14,000 raise. So Angel, as you can imagine, is crying. You know, she's thanking him. They're hugging. It's wonderful. Uh, but that's not all. Then he says that he has a check for $250,000 for her to go buy a house. And so in the show, this is when she literally collapses on the ground. She cannot believe this is reality. She can't believe that someone would actually care about her that much, that someone would love her so much to give her as much as he did. But he does, and, and it's real. And guys, Jesus is like that for us. He's far better than we could expect in every way. And so trusting that truth, believing that promise, that's going to be the best thing we can do when we're dealing with hard circumstances in our life. But I get it. I totally understand. It's not that easy, right? It's not as simple as hearing trust and believe, and then suddenly your circumstances are a breeze, or they just, you know, kind of go away. It's not like that, right? So then how do we grow? How do we actually start trusting that Jesus is actually better? I think there are a lot of ways. 
but here are three that have been really good for my heart. First, read God's word. It's that simple. If you want to see God working for the good of his people over thousands of years, all you have to do is read accounts of people like Job, uh, Naomi, uh, Joseph, David. There's tons. See, these people, they're dealing with really hard things. Sometimes things we don't even have a category for, like losing 10 children, they all die, or being sold into slavery, or literally hiding in caves because you're being hunted. But God, he does amazing things with these very trials. And so, see, when we read the accounts, we get the whole picture. We see God's incredible plan for his children on every page. And the more you immerse yourself in these pages, the more you take time looking at the way God's plan is always good and always out of love, then the more you're going to be able to see that happening in your own life. Second, uh, spend time praying and reflecting. Um, I'm saying take some serious time, and not just once, but regularly thinking about, praying about the specific ways that God is working good into your life. And so I think that means looking back and reflecting on big points in your life. But I think that also means just looking at the past week, you know? Where have you seen little rays of hope in the midst of all the hard things you're dealing with? Or where has God taken disappointments and, and done far greater things than you could have expected? Third, uh, and this is the hardest of the things I'll suggest. But sometimes what you're called to do is just wait. Just to wait on the Lord's timing and allow his work to come. Because if you're like me, when you're experiencing hard things, you jump into action, right? You start worrying about all the what ifs. You start deliberating possible plans. Uh, you ask advice from friends. Um, maybe you're just praying constantly for relief, for change, for something. But sometimes God's good plan just involves us waiting and listening to his voice telling us that he is in complete control and that his plan is far better than ours. Here's the thing. In the end, all the evidence is right there in Mark. The Israelites, they hoped and longed for a king, someone who would conquer their enemies and who would set them free. And in the end, Jesus does set his people free. But it's not freedom from their current oppression like they expected. It's freedom from their far greater oppression of sin and the bondage of death. And in the end, Jesus, he does conquer their enemy. But again, it's not the enemy that it, they expected. It's not the Roman Empire. It's their far greater enemy, Satan. And our far greater enemy, Satan. As the music team comes back up, um, I'm going to close with this. We've been talking a lot this semester uh, about expectations, about circumstances, situations. Um, and so in any situation, 
what are you going to turn to? In any situation, who will you put your trust in? Jesus is inviting us to trust him. And he promises that his trust, it's worth it to put our trust in him because he will be there in any circumstance we face. So don't let your expectations fool you. Don't let them fool you into thinking there's something better. Nothing will satisfy us the way he does. No one cares more about you than he does. No one is working good into your life the way he is. So Jesus is inviting us, right? He's hoping for us to trust in him. So go ahead. Trust him. Give him your full authority of your life because Jesus really is better than anything you could ever expect or ever hope for. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for that truth. Thank you for the fact that we can trust in you in anything. I pray tonight that you're working that into our hearts, not just our heads, uh, but actually in a way that is going to affect our lives. I pray that you're teaching us to rely on you and who you are and what you're going to do because you promise to work good. You promise to uphold us. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.